And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to four to six with A and B here on the Athletic Hero Ohio State podcast. Bill Landis with Ari Wasserman. Our podcast title is hard for me to say, and I'm going to bungle, bungle, bumble. Not Bumble. Bumble's what you use. Bungle. Used to use. You, oh, sorry. Used to use. Yeah. Uh, so, apologies in advance for messing, <laughs> for messing that up. Um, we're here on a Monday after Ohio State's 45-21 win over Florida Atlantic. It's a Monday show, which means that you can find it anywhere. Friday, we did one for subscribers only. Monday shows are available wherever you can find podcasts, but we would appreciate it if you did subscribe to The Athletic so you got every show. You can do that by going to theathletic.com backslash 4-6. That gets you 40% off. But actually, if you're listening to this on Monday, don't do that. Do this instead. Go to theathletic.com backslash Labor Day 50, and you get 50% off. That expires after Monday. But if you want to join, or have been thinking about joining and haven't done it yet, you can get half off the price if you use backslash Labor Day 50. And then if you're catching this after Monday, you can use backslash 4-6 and get 40% off. Please subscribe, rate, and review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all those places, that helps us out as well. We appreciate you guys doing that. We're going to talk about how to like how to view the game. I don't know. Ari wrote a column after the game on on Saturday on the Athletic that we we hope you guys read that summed it up as confusing, which I I think I generally agree with, but people took exception to that. So I think we're just going to dive into that a little bit and just sort of how you should be feeling coming off a game where Ohio State scored 28 points in six minutes and then didn't score again until like the end of the third quarter, midway through the third quarter, and ended up winning by a couple touchdowns. Didn't cover against Florida Atlantic. I know some people were upset about that. Um, we, You and I both picked in the cover, and we were wrong, although I was one touchdown off. Um, well, let's start with Fields. Justin Fields, a quarterback. He ends up with five total touchdowns, and you are like disappointed in that. First of all, I cannot believe you blasted me for Bumble right out of the gate. What is it, Tinder? Grinder? Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if disappointed is the right word. I mean, you want uh, to be wowed, and we could like have a whole uh, yeah, separate let's just episode. get into it. We can, let's well, talk we'll about say, we can have a whole separate episode digging into your need to be wowed, just sort of like in general in life, I think. But let's talk about with partic- particular Justin F- Justin Fields, excuse me. What what were you hoping to see that you didn't see? Well, Ohio State didn't even really have a long, sustained drive. 
Um, so like a lot of the, the stats and a lot of the um, fireworks that, you know, we saw out of him in the first seven minutes of the game were just defensive breakdowns for the most part where any competent quarterback would have taken advantage. And there were certain instances in the game where I was expecting or anticipating that he was going to, um, you know, flash brilliance, you know, and I think that he did what he had to do. Um, he made throws. I think he's a good runner. I think it basically confirmed what we already thought. But if you go back and you look at some of the past Ohio State quarterbacks, when they were freshmen or sophomores or young, like Justin, they did certain things where it was almost like a clue of like, holy crap, this is what's to come. And I don't think there was one single moment in that game where Justin Fields did that. And that doesn't mean he's not going to be good. It doesn't mean he had a bad game. It doesn't mean that I think he sucks. It just means that it just, for the athleticism and the rating and everything that, you know, we have been come to believe about this guy, I think he took what was there and nothing really much more than that. Shouldn't he do that? I, he played he played safe. I would agree with that. He didn't. He never threw, he didn't throw one pass that I would determine as risky. Um, there was one play where he like rolled out and held onto it and held onto it and held onto it and like last second tried to flip it to Luke Farrell and was a little behind. It was an incompletion, but like that was the closest thing I thought he had to a risky throw. And even that is, is stretching the definition. He I think he did play it very safe. There were probably I think I can remember two throws in particular where. There was a guy who looked like he would be coming open over the middle of the field. I think once it was KJ Hill, and the other time I think it was Garrett Wilson. And in the KJ Hill one, I mean, everybody looked at it and went throw it, right? Uh, I know you saw somebody underneath, maybe that we missed. I just don't think he... it's that easy of a throw, and it's like it's throws that they preach in the offense. They they do this drill where they set up a, a what looks like a pitching screen, and they throw the ball over the screen they call it one inch throws and, and the idea is you want to throw it sort of high point the ball to your receiver to get it over that linebacker who's sitting underneath but keeping it in front of the safety who's behind him like we've all seen that throw in Dwayne Haskins that did it a lot last year I don't I don't think it's an easy which is throw. probably the most difficult throw a quarterback in college can make I think right? it's a pretty hard throw especially in that throw would have been across his body too right so maybe with more experience he makes it I, I think Dwayne Haskins at the end of last year probably would have made it maybe he would have made it at the beginning of last year I don't think it's totally fair at the moment to sort of compare Justin Fields to Dwayne Haskins in a way of like listing all the throws that Dwayne would have attempted that Justin Fields didn't attempt. But can we attempt? Can we compare him to the freshman versions of Braxton and Terrell Pryor? I mean, I didn't cover those guys, so if you want to, that's fine. I would just be talking out of my ass if I was trying to do that. Just Google Braxton Miller. I mean, and I watched them. I watched them play football. About... I watched them play football. Like I know that they're good players. Like I don't necessarily know if that's a smart throw given the situation they were in. So I think it's okay that he didn't make it. I thought for the most for the most part he made the right decisions. There was one play he took a sack that was bad. He shouldn't have taken a sack. He should have just threw the ball away. I think he thought he was going to beat the defender, and the guy tripped him up, and and he took like a two yard sack, um, and that was bad. But I well, first thought- of all, I want to quali- I want to qual- I want to clarify something. Sorry. Nothing that I'm saying about him right now. I'm just about being how he did as a passer. I'm talking about the thing that he's supposed to be best at, and that's running and improvising and creating something out of nothing. And there were a few plays where I thought guys were blitzing or that he was in trouble and he would like, it looked like he was exposed to his backside to 
a pretty monstrous hit, and then all of a sudden he spun out and like he he avoided pressure really well. I thought, but I'm talking more about the physical athleticism on display that's outside of throwing. Yeah, I just don't think he had to do it, so he didn't do it. I, that, I mean, that's my read on. I, I I'm curious about that myself. Like when when the game's on the line and you got to go make a play, can you make it? I think he'll be able to. I think he has the tools to be able to do it. Um, I don't think he was in too many positions to have to do that against Florida Atlantic. And when it came time to maybe try to do a little something, for the most part, he just kind of played it safe and either he took his check down once or twice, um, he bought some time and, and ran out of bounds, or he I think he threw the ball away maybe once or twice. I don't know. I, I would prefer to see that. I understand wanting to see – Justin Fields make put make plays in a game against a bad team that make you go, holy shit, this guy's going to win the Heisman Trophy someday. Um, I, I don't know. If I were an Ohio State fan, I would rather see Justin Fields like be a smart quarterback and like show an ability to make the right decision more often than not, even if the result of that is like kind of a boring play or a game that you're left not being wowed. I th- like if Ohio State wants to go to the playoff and win a Big Ten championship and, and contend for a national championship, their quarterback has to be smart. And I think you want. I, th- I thought Justin Fields showed things against Florida Atlantic that were markers of good decision making, even if in the end you weren't going crazy about how good this guy might be someday. I think that's all fair. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't think that anything you said was uh, was wrong. I uh, and it's like funny because even in the final thoughts, people thought. Wow, you're being really harsh and mean to Justin Fields, and it's like that's not the way I felt. Like I don't, I don't feel like I'm down on him. And if I conveyed it that way, that means I might have just uh, written a little bit harder without realizing it. But he, I mean, he had a good game. He, he had really four game. touchdowns in six minutes. It's kind of hard to feel bad about that. I don't feel bad about it. He completed. 18 of 25 passes for 234 yards, four touchdowns, didn't throw an interception, and ran uh, for a net of 61 yards uh, and another touchdown, average five yards a carry. It's pretty good. I think it's a pretty good debut. I know people saw Jalen Hurts for Oklahoma. Yeah, on, I didn't want to bring it up, but on now Sunday that you did, night. Let's, let's well, first of all, it's a totally box. it's a totally unfair comparison. Jalen Hurts has started what probably 20 something games in his career. Okay, listen, being a fan uh, isn't rational. So, no, I like, I understand that. We're that. not. We're not here. We're not here to be irrational. We're here to take your irrational thoughts, you people listening to right. this. Right. So the irrational thought the from people is. is, with all the hype of Ryan Day's youth and offensive guru tendencies, and the way that Ohio State followed the plan um, that Oklahoma set out in terms of hiring a young, offensive-minded guy and getting a transfer quarterback, that you would hope that the offense would lean on the other team the entire game and put up crazy numbers and it looked like it was headed that direction and I don't know I can't do a straight line comparison between any of the of the things that we're going to talk about in terms of factors whether it's defensive comparisons between Houston and Florida Atlantic or direct line comparisons between Justin Fields and um, Jalen Hurts but if you watch the two games even though Ohio State basically scored the same amount of points one offense looked dominant and imposing, and one didn't for the most part. Um, if you take out the first six minutes of the game that were explosive plays based, what I would say, 85% on terrible defensive breakdowns. And, like, Oklahoma was yeah, I think that's like kind literally of 15 too. yards a play 
you design a play. Game. You design a play to put defenders in conflict, and it works. And somebody breaks open, and like you discredit the offense because the play design you had worked. I think that's bullshit. Like I don't think Flor- like Florida Atlantic defensively. I don't, I don't know how good they're going to be. I thought their defensive coordinator started to do some good stuff after Ohio State blitzed them in the beginning. But like Jeremy Ruckert was wide open because the play design called for that. Like he and Luke Farrell switched a route, ran a, like, ran a mesh kind of thing down the field, picked a defender, and Rucker came wide open. Did anybody give Dwayne Haskins shit when Paris Campbell and KJ Hill were running wide open across the middle of the field on pick routes? It's an easy throw, admittedly, but that's what it's supposed to look well, like. Well, I mean, and I agree. Like I, Everybody who was sitting there saying, send the Heisman Trophy to Oklahoma for a third year last year on Twitter during the or last night during Oklahoma's win. There were also throws where Jalen Hurts threw a five-yard slant route and the, run, yeah, and the receiver will, yeah. went 80 yards. We, and it's just like you could you could pad the stats. Week one overreaction any, was running pretty you know, rampant. And yeah, week sure. one overreaction is maybe running rampant on this podcast in terms of the negative. But I'm saying Oklahoma was getting 11 – well, I think they started like the first 11 plays were first down plays. Out of thirteen, like I mean, eleven Ohio out of the State first thirteen four touchdowns on fourteen. Yeah, plays. but then Ohio State also did absolutely nothing for three quarters, and Oklahoma <laughs> was literally on high octane every single time they snapped the ball. It was going fifteen yards or more for four straight quarters, and the fan reaction is, "Well, I wish Ohio State would have looked like that." And I guess we're here to talk about whether or not that's a rational thing. I don't think we should. I actually don't want to talk about that. I just like somebody threw it out there, and I don't. I just don't think we're there. I don't like. You want to compare? Like you want to compare a third-year head coach to a first-year head coach and a fifth-year senior to a sophomore? Go for it. Yeah, I, I don't think it. I don't think it totally makes sense right now. Lincoln Riley's offense, and like Ryan Day's been the offensive coordinator here for for I guess technically three years. We want to count on that now. So like he's been here. Kind of as long as Lincoln Riley's been in Oklahoma, but he's changing changing some stuff too. He has young players. He's a new quarterback. Like, it's just not going to look the same. Also, Houston's defense is probably worse than Florida Atlantic's, and that's splitting hairs because they're both bad. But I just don't. I don't think that's the conversation right now. I think the conversation should center more on Ohio State and whether or not, yeah. whether or not we saw enough out of what they. The did. The last thing I want to say about it, though, Bill, is if you're going to hand Jalen Hurts the Heisman for all the stats he put up in the Houston game. Then you also have to give credit to Justin Fields for the stats he put up against Florida Atlantic in the first six minutes of the game. Yeah. Because, like, I, I feel like Chris Chuganov could get 400 yards of offense on that Houston if he was the quarterback in that system. Yeah, you texted me during the game and said if Chris Chuganov was uh, Oklahoma's quarterback, would he have 300 yards right now? And I said, I don't know, maybe. I think maybe. Probably. He wouldn't have ran for 150 the way that Jalen Hurts did, but. My God, they were throwing screens, they were throwing slants, and these guys were just running wild. I mean, it, yeah, it looked like Ohio State's defense last year. Too soon, man. We're going to talk about the defense. I thought their defense yeah. looked, looked pretty good against Florida Atlantic. But let's talk about the idea of, and this is not, it's not unique to us. Like everyone said it, and, and Ryan Day was asked about it. It's like, what happened? You scored four touchdowns on 14 plays. It was 28 nothing, like six minutes into the game, which is absurd. And then they didn't score again. They had trouble. Like they had a couple three and outs. And like, what what was going on with the offense that led to that? And why didn't Ohio State put a hundred points on Florida Atlantic? Which I think are fair questions. But I also think like I've watched the game. I watched it live there, and I've watched it twice on television now. And I'm not like trying to make excuses for it because like the reason it happened is because Ohio State was making mistakes. Um, but it's not like one thing. It's not like uh, Florida Atlantic started blitzing a little more, and I think Ohio State's offensive line started to get confused. Even on plays where they didn't end up blitzing, there were some pass protection breakdowns when Florida Atlantic was bringing three players because it looked like Ohio State's offensive linemen 
were expecting pressures that didn't come. And I think that's that happens sometimes when you're young. Don't forget they have four technically four new starters, and the guy who's a returning starter was in and out with the ones during camp, Thayer Munford, the left tackle, and also in and out with the ones during the game. Um, the cohesion that you need to be a good pass-protecting team probably isn't isn't there. It's it's admittedly a little farther behind than I thought it would be. I thought in general the offensive line was not quite as good as I expected it to be. They were early. They were knocking off the ball, but then that changed. Um, but I think it's just going to take a little bit of time, and I also think that Justin Fields needs to progress as well to a point where he's not getting moved off his spot so easily um, by what he senses to be pressure. There were times where there was a guy near him, and you know it was it was the, the pocket was closing, it wasn't collapsing, it was still there. There was still time for Justin Fields to throw the ball, and he just started running. And I think young quarterbacks do that, particularly young quarterbacks who can run the way that Justin Fields does. Um, but sometimes that led to him, you know, running for two yards when maybe he could have thrown a, a short pass and gotten five or six, and all of a sudden the offense is back on schedule and they're run, they're getting those sustained drives that you were talking about earlier, Ari. Because you're right, there wasn't many of those. After there weren't really sustained drives in the beginning of the game, they were scoring on three it was plays. Just, it was yeah, like two, it was three plays, two yeah. or three plays per drive. But but before they had the touchdown drive where they threw the pass to. Ruckert in the end zone off that like little I formation play. There wasn't really a sustained drive other than, and and like this is sort of where it turned. And I think people would even feel differently about it if if this hadn't happened. And it was in the second quarter. The second quarter they had not scored for uh, two possessions after they put the twenty eight points up, and they get the ball back. And all of a sudden they're marching a little bit, and they get down to the twenty two yard line. And Justin Fields throws a ball to Chris Olave that Olave catches. It would have been an 18-yard completion down to the four, and Olave got, got flagged hit? for no. Olave oh. got flagged for offensive pass interference. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it was kind of an iffy call. Like I, I think it was more about the the body motion of Olave than what he actually did to the guy. But he extended his arm, and I get why they called it. Um, and then the next play, they threw that bubble and was a fumble, and the drive was over. So they but they went from being on the four-yard line about the score to moving back to the 33 or 37, I think it was. And then had that botched play on the fumble. That was not a great throw by Fields. He threw it behind Wilson, and then Wilson and Jeremy Ruckert didn't realize the situation, and and didn't jump on the loose ball. But like that was going to be a sustained drive until a penalty and a and a miscue sort of knocked them back. So I thought I thought there were things that that happened during the game that that showed you they could sustain some drives. Um, it just wasn't always clean. Like Justin Fields could have made some better reads in, in, in the read option game. I thought J.K. Dobbins was a little inconsistent with how hard he ran. Um, and at times looked like he looked last year. Um, and I think that the play calling got pretty vanilla too once they got up 28 nothing because they just wanted to kind of get out of there without showing anything. And I think that's true on both sides of the ball because I think they respect Cincinnati. And they have Indiana on the road after Cincinnati. So um, I think all those things kind of came together to, to make it look not great after it was 28 to nothing. But I, I didn't see anything that I thought like, oh, man, this is going to be an issue for them moving forward. I, I thought it was like sort of natural growing pains for a young quarterback and a coaching staff that was just going to dial it back because they knew they could basically not do anything and come out with a win. I mean, if they wanted to run up the score, they could have run up the score. If they wanted to get they creative. Were, they they wanted... were throwing in the fourth quarter yeah. when they were up like – No, I know. But like, it's... No, but before that they were. I mean, even on defense too, which we'll get to, right? Like, I mean, they, yeah. they, they ran their base defense the entire game. Then Jeff Halfley basically said, you know, we were comfortable and that was just what we wanted to do. We wanted to get out of here with a win and that was it. But, you know, it didn't seem like uh, they were really – Wanted to be put in a position where they wanted to show too much on film. I don't know if that's a strategic standpoint or just master what we're working on now and we'll move on to the next thing next week. Um, but, you know, whatever. It's 
these are the types of games too where it's part of the, the thing is that there's so much buildup. A year ends, then you go into the fall after spring football and roster turnover and people going to the NFL and all this stuff, and then you finally get to the fall. You're so excited to see what's going on here. Then you get four quarters against an overmatched opponent. Then you overanalyze it. And then in three weeks, this game will never be talked about ever again. Yeah. And 45 to 21, whatever, it's fine. It's over. And I think that we saw a ton of things to build on. And I do think that if this team puts it together, that this could be one of the best teams in college football. I think the one thing that, you know, was pretty evident was there is talent everywhere. And I think that they have a lot of playmakers in different spots. Um, You saw something out of Josh Proctor even late in the game, but Chase Young, um, Jeffrey Okuda, I thought played fantastic. He played really well. Um, You know, and some of the backups on offense. I mean, you got Olave. You got, I would have liked to see more out of Garrett Wilson. But, like, if you look at every position group on this team, you have a difference maker. And I think it was evident, and I think that that might have been the biggest takeaway of the game. Maybe I should have written about that. But, uh, Mr. Negative. You know. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know, Mr. Negative. You know, I think I do need to work on my, like, meter, like my negativity meter in terms of even when I'm not trying to be negative, sometimes I come across negative. And I really wasn't trying to be negative. I was just, like, confusion when you're walking down from the tunnel, uh, elevators in the press box, through the tunnel, and up to – I was wondering, like, how am I – how are we supposed to feel about this as fans? You know, how are fans – not us as fans, but how are fans supposed to take this? And I just thought confusion was a good word. I think so too, and I think I, I think it's a good point to make. Like there's 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 so much build up from the off season that it's almost inevitable that you feel let down in some way by whatever happens in the opener, unless like they beat like Bowling Green by a million that one year. But turns out that that was uh, what's the what's the way what's the way you say it? Putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah, it's a fugazi. It's a fugazi. <laughs> it's, 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 it's fairy, fairy dust. dust. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, it's of, it is of no matter. It doesn't exist. So I think I think confusion is fair, um, but I don't know if I, I I don't I don't come out of this game. We'll, we'll get to the defenses, but this is I'll ask you this question about the offense. Did you come out of it like any more concerned about Ohio State moving forward? Because I didn't. I I think what I saw I mostly expected. Um, and like they have to be better when they start playing better teams, clearly. But I, I, I didn't see anything no. like like set of red flags for me. No, I, I think I think really what it is is they score twenty eight points so quickly that when it stops, it's like what happened, and then you start thinking like what's going on here? Why aren't they playing? Yeah, and it's like if you watch the Oklahoma game last night, Oklahoma. Ran the ball up and down the field every time they touched it, 80 yards, no problem. And they only had 21 points at halftime. And it felt fine because they were moving the ball. Right. Ohio State scored so much so quickly that when it turned into a regular game and things started to you know average out a little bit, it was two full quarters of nothing. Yeah. And I think that has an impact on the way you take things because if something happens in six minutes, it doesn't matter how much of it happens in that six minutes, it was only six minutes. Right. And I think that that had a negative feel. But I do think that Ohio State has the pieces on the offensive line. I think it was good that they got, you know, Petit Freer in at right. I think it was good that they got Alibi in at left tackle. Um, Almost got Justin you Fields know, killed on one play. But yeah, I don't know if that's Alibi's fault. Yeah, and I don't know if we want to go on Justin Fields lowering his shoulder in the fourth quarter tangent right now. But um, 
I thought there was a lot to build off of, and as we'll get to right now, the defense was awesome. The defense was awesome, like without really having to try, which I think, I think is important. Like they didn't, in the end, like we didn't see the bullet package. They didn't really vary their coverages at all. They played basically cover three the entire game. Um, I don't think they were doing anything crazy blitz wise. Like they, they blitzed a little bit, but I thought they just like sort of played straight up four three, dropped in the coverage, let their linebackers read and react, and like Florida Atlantic could not move the ball, and like couldn't block a defensive line that was missing three defensive end starters. So I don't want to I'm, – I'm getting actually in like in the middle of writing this and it's going to go up after, shortly after this podcast goes up or around the same time. I don't put too much stock in like the final stats of the game. Like they had negative yards going into the into the halftime. And That's still an absurd stat. Though. It's absurd, but I just don't they know. They literally like, couldn't do anything. They could not do anything. And, like, there is some talent on that team on an individual. Like, their tight end is going to go to the NFL. And, like, their quarterback was a conference freshman of the year last year. And the running back who was from Alabama got hurt. He broke his foot, like, the first time he got a carry. So, I'm sure that played a part. Their offensive line, I think, also had two redshirt freshmen starting. So, they were pretty young up front and clearly couldn't handle them. But it wasn't – I don't think they were playing a team that's going to end up being totally inept on offense. And they still look that way. But it's still – you know, it's Florida Atlantic. It'll probably still end up being – the worst, well, maybe Miami, Ohio, in a couple of weeks. But other than that, the worst offensive team they play. Um, but just how it looked, I think, mattered more than like what the final stats were. Just like it looked yeah. like, it looked like sound defense. Guys just rallying to the ball, and and I thought they were they were hitting people with a little more physicality and ferocity that I think we've seen in a while. And it just looked like a, it looked like what it should look like when a when a high caliber defense is playing an overmatched opponent. And I thought that players flashed. Like honestly. We all know Chase Young is good, but I thought Chase Young was absolutely dominant. Mm-hmm. We all know that Jeffrey Okuda is good, but I thought he was dominant. I thought Baron Browning looked fast. And that's one yeah. thing I, I, I failed to mention in my final thoughts, and I was like upset after it went up. I was like, oh, crap. But like Baron Browning, I thought, looked awesome. Yeah. Um, you did. know, and you, you broke down the film, and if he was in the wrong spot on his own coverage or something, I mean, you're, you're more willing. But like from the, the eye test, I mean, the first play he was in the game, then he exploded in the backfield mm-hmm. to make a tackle for a loss, and it looked like Andy Katzenmoyer back there. <laughs> I mean, I, like that—that that was the Baron Browning that I think people have been waiting for. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do at linebacker um, moving forward, but I thought that this is a guy that has to play if this is what it's going to look like. So you know, I mean, all in all, I think that Ohio State is in a good position heading into Cincinnati um, as seventeen-point favorites, <laughs> and uh, you know, good building blocks, and I think. You know, the thing that maybe I didn't do a good enough job in the story, you know, discussing either is what would you rather have, a 77 nothing win like Penn State had um, over the weekend, or would you rather have against an, FCS, against opponent. an FCS opponent that wasn't as physically inclined as Florida Atlantic, or would you rather have a 45-21 loss where you have a lot of film and a lot of stuff to build off of and learning, but everything looking like it's in order? Because, like, I do think that the defense looks better. Yeah, and all those points that they scored the long sustained drive, it was twos anyway. For, so yeah, mix it. Well, mix at of, the end, at the end, it was in the fourth quarter. It was mostly twos. The first touchdown they scored, it was like a mix. Um, but I don't like. It's not. Sorry, they didn't shut them out. Sorry, but I thought they looked really good. So I'm not. I don't. People were getting upset. Like, oh, they moved the ball on Ohio State's defense at the end of the game. I was like, all right, whatever. They had negative yards in the first half. Negative. They had like 32 plays and negative yards. Negative 14. Yeah, which is absurd. So I, I came out feeling really good about the defense. I, I, they'll be 
They'll be tested more by Cincinnati, and I think you know I, I want to watch Cincinnati again um, before we really dive into that one later in the week. And I think we're going to have uh, Justin Williams, who covers Cincinnati for the Athletic, come on for a bit to talk about what Luke Fickle's doing there. Um, and I do think it's an intriguing matchup for Ohio State on both sides of the ball. Maybe more so Ohio State's offense versus defense, but but Cincinnati I think can do some stuff to to put a little more pressure on Ohio State's offense or Ohio State's defense this week. Like Florida Atlantic didn't throw to the receivers hardly ever. It was basically just try to run the ball or, or try to get the tight end open. Um, so like Arnett and Okuda I thought played well and and got involved in the run game a little bit, but they weren't really tested all that much in the passing game. Um, Okuda had one really nice play. I think it was in the first quarter where. He was dropped back in his zone, and they like threw a, a stop route, like a comeback route, and then he broke on the ball and, and deflected it away. And I just thought like that looked, he looked like a first round corner when he did that, um, which he's going to be. But that was really like the only time a cornerback was put in a position to make a play, and really the only time the secondary was sort of out in space, put in a position to make a play. It was pretty rare, other than Proctor's interception at the end. But that was when both teams, I think, had twos in. Um, but I, I would just feel really good about the way they tackled. Um, I think there were very, there was very little in the way of missed tackles. There was a, there were a couple runs that got out, but they didn't have Florida Atlantic. They didn't have a run that was for more than ten yard, more than nine yards, and I think Ohio State Ohio State didn't lead the country in double digit rushing plays last year, but it was among the worst teams in giving up double digit rushing plays, um, and they didn't give up any against Florida Atlantic. Uh, there was one I think like twenty eight yard pass play that might have been the longest play that FAU had the entire game, um, thirty eight yards. Yeah. That was like a broken kind of screen toward the end of the game. Um, they just didn't give a big plays. They tackled well. The linebackers defeated blocks. Baron Browning, I thought, really flashed, like you said. I thought Malik Harrison looked awesome. Um, Taraja Mitchell got into the game a little bit, and they were they were sort of swapping the Mike and Will linebackers. So you got to see Mitchell play a little bit of outside. Baron, Baron Browning play a little bit of outside. Um, Pete Werner, I thought, had a decent game. They trusted Pete Werner quite often to cover that tight end, Harrison Bryant, who's going to go to the NFL. And I thought he did an okay job. I think if Ohio State actually felt threatened by what he was going to do or what FAU was going to do, Brendan White would have played a little more. Um, but I thought it was pretty clear early on that they couldn't block him. So they just didn't they didn't get cute with it, and they played their base and, and didn't give Cincinnati or anyone else yet a kind of a look at their nickel package with White on the field at linebacker and, 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 look, and a look at what they're going to try to do there. So I think to get out, to get out of it with – Basically everything you talked about in the summer minus the bullet package sort of coming to fruition in terms of playing fast, playing free, attacking the ball, creating disruption. They didn't have a turnover. They almost had an interception. They caused two fumbles but didn't recover them. Um, I thought it was kind of all there for the defense, um, and they did it without having to get really cute. I agree, which is weird. It's weird. Who flashed for you on defense? Who? who let's do that. Who? Who? Who flashed for you on offense and who flashed for you on defense? Master Teague, yeah, and Baron Browning, yeah. Teague, I, Teague is interesting, and like I don't want to go too far down the lane of like taking away carries from J.K. Dobbins because it was one game against an overmatch opponent. But Teague ran hard, and like some of that under center stuff, I, I, he, he looks a little more natural in it than I thought J.K. Dobbins did. And I, I don't know. I, Which is I, funny because I was in the take carries away from Mike Weber camp uh, when J.K. was a freshman and even last year. And I thought that J.K. Dobbins was going to be the next great Ohio State running back when he was a freshman. 
and he still might. Um, so I cannot believe I would borderline agree with that. It's like I cannot believe I'm at a place right now where I'm saying maybe take a few carries away from J.K. Dobbins and let Master run a little bit. I cannot believe it. I'm not there yet. I, I would like to give J.K. a little more opportunity, I think, to, to show that, that he's going to be the guy he talked about being this year. And his last sort of sequence in the game where they were down in the red zone and he, he ran the ball in, it was initially called a touchdown and it was called back. Like He got hit at the nine, he got hit again at the four, and he took it down to the one. Like He, he broke a couple tackles and got down there. Like that, was, like that one play was exactly what Ryan Day has been talking about all summer and spring with J.K. Dobbins about creating extra yards and fighting through contact. And I didn't think he did that at times uh, throughout the game. I think he did it for the most part, but it took him a long time. He had 91 rushing yards, I believe. 91 rushing yards. It took him 21 carries to get there. A 4.3 average for J.K. Dobbins is not great. He averaged over seven yards carry when he was a freshman. And part of that's on the offensive line. Sometimes the holes weren't there. But I also think sometimes you got to – if the offensive line blocks things in a way that sort of leaves the running back to beat one guy, and that guy is as talented as J.K. Dobbins, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect your guy to make that make that guy miss every once in a while. And I still think, or run through that guy every once in a while. And and I, you don't want to make a living that way, but sometimes you got to do it. And uh, I don't think J.K. did that in the in the few opportunities he had against Florida Atlantic. Now. Doesn't mean he's not going to do it all year, but I just thought Master Teague, when he got his chance, and it wasn't just in garbage time, just ran downhill and ran really hard. And it's ran crazy because people. Master Teague we thought was injured. He was on the I he was on the Friday him. injury report of like. Maybe. No, he wasn't on there. I thought he would be on there, and then he ended up not being on there. The game time the game time decisions were the three ends who didn't play. Oh right, right. And and Demario, I think, was on there too, but he ended up playing as well. Um, but yeah, Teague had like been in and out during camp, and I, f- I fully expect I, w- I went into the opener thinking like, oh, we're going to get a good look at Marcus Crowley because Master Teague can't play, and then Crowley played at the end, and he ran hard, but he kind of runs like a crazy person. He just like puts his head down and just like runs no matter what's in front of him because I think he's a young guy and he's just trying to make some plays. But I was down on the field when he was running, and it was like it was loud when he was running, and I think like you know he'll grow into that, and, and I think Ryan Day likes that about him. But you got to be smart about it too. Um, Teague runs similarly, but I think a little smarter. And I, I was really impressed with the way he ran the ball. Like he didn't he didn't set the world on fire either. Like J.K. Dobbins averaged four point three yards per carry, and Master Teague averaged uh, six yards per carry. He had forty nine yards on eight on eight touches. Um, it's pretty good, pretty good for a debut. Crowley had uh, twenty seven yards on four touches, but again, that was in garbage time. But I thought, like, of all the young guys, of all the young guys who got time, Master Teague stuck, stood out the most to me. And, and I wonder about that backup running back situation and how much it's going to be McCall. Because McCall was the number two. He was more of the number two than I thought he would be. And I don't know, do you, like, do you think Master Teague might push for that moving forward? I think Master Teague is a more natural fit to run the ball than Demario McCall in any facet. Unless you're running outside or pitching it or getting him in space and letting him try to speed his way to the edge or make somebody miss. I'd much rather have see Master Teague with the ball in his hands in between the tackles or in the teeth of the defense. I don't think it's even comparison. And I yeah. and I thought that, you know, if you remember last week on this podcast, we were talking about how I was doubtful of 
Demario McCall even having really a ma- any major role in this offense, and I think I, that game showed that I was wrong about that. I think yeah. that he's going to have a role, um, but I just don't know if, in the name of trying to get him to have that role, putting him in between the tackles is the way to do it. Because I don't think he's built for that at all, especially for somebody who's been banged up his whole career. You know, you want to get him into space, <clears throat> excuse me, and let him and let him fly. And you're not flying when you're getting hit. Yeah, McCall had one reception and he had two uh, two rushing attempts. He he looked like he got hurt on one play, and he didn't come out of the game because he was still returning kicks. But I don't I don't know if he had an, an offensive touch after that. He like slipped and then got hit late and probably should have been a penalty and wasn't called. And I don't know if he got an offensive touch again after that. So I I I'm still I'm still waiting on that a little bit. Exactly what his role is going to be in the offense. Um, like he was out there early for sure, but. They weren't forcing him the ball early. They weren't. They weren't trying to put him in positions to make. I mean, some just plays seeing early. him out there as much as he was out there was a surprise to me. I didn't even. No, think I, he, I, I agree didn't with that think too. He, it wasn't even about the touches. In yeah. fact, he only had three. I think right. Three. Yeah. So, yeah, I just. I think it looked like he was on the field a lot more than I would have anticipated with the offense this year. In general. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they'll try. I, I don't know. I, I wonder how much like it's always a thing like how much were they hiding? What what didn't what didn't they want to show? Like part of me part of me feels like they're hiding quite a bit still. At least offensively. I think we know defensively what, what they're still gonna do. They just didn't have to do it against FAU. Like I wonder if they did some stuff last year with DeMario where they like put him in a backfield and motioned about and tried to get him isolated on the linebacker and then threw him the ball and watched him run. And and I don't think they did that against Florida Atlantic. They threw him a bubble one time. In fact, I think that was the play where he got hurt. It was like a, it was like a check down. It was a good good decision by Fields. Yeah, they're going to come out against Cincinnati. Hurt. They're going to have the uh, greatest show on turf waiting for him. Well, I don't know. I do think it would behoove Ryan Day to win that game in convincing fashion, like for quote unquote narrative purposes. You certainly don't want to lose to Luke Fickle. You don't lose at all. You definitely don't want to lose to Luke Fickle. Because um, even a close win, people will be like, well. Like, a close win, people aren't going to come out and be like, oh, man, Luke Fickle should be the coach of the Buckeyes. But yeah. uh, people like Luke Fickle, I think. Although he got a lot of shit when he was It here. was so funny to yeah. me how quickly shit changes, man. When Luke Fickle was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, people wanted him to get fired every five minutes. And now he's the head coach at Cincinnati. They had a pretty good year, and he should be the guy. You know what happened? Could you imagine if, if Ohio State would have hired Luke Fickle after Urban got fired, what would have happened? People would have been puzzled by it. It never would have happened. I don't think there's an alternative universe where Gene Smith hires Luke Fickle. I think Fickle was probably on the short list. He was going to hire an offensive guy, whatever, whoever that might be. Yeah. Um, although, I don't know. I guess Matt Campbell. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was never really – I think there was a clear plan on how they wanted to do it, and they executed that plan. I want to know if Matt Campbell was an offensive coach or a defensive coach. I think he's an offensive coach. Let's see. He kind of looks like Luke Fickle a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah, he was an offensive line guy. Okay. Good. I don't think he would have. I don't think Gene would have hired a defensive guy. Um, but I think he. I think he he vetted people, and I'm sure Luke was on that list. <clears throat> Bob Stoops was on that list too. Um. It wasn't going to happen. I think what it is, it's like the same thing with Jalen Hurts in Alabama. It's like a point of pride. He's one of us. Well, and the I other think that, thing, and it's yeah. like, and you want to see him succeed 
from afar, but if Jalen Hurts would have beat Tua in the quarterback battle, I'm not sure everybody in Tuscaloosa would be, you know, holding their hands over their hearts saying, oh, go Jalen, go. I think people are very, for lack of better terms, fickle <laughs> when it comes to this sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, Cincinnati's a badass team and they, they won 10 games last year and they beat the shit out of UCLA and everybody in Columbus is like, yeah, go Luke. And it's like, you're the same asshole that two years ago was saying fire him. I mean, it's just so funny to me. How quickly people switch up, and I also they switched they switched because he got replaced by Bill Davis, who sucked, and that like that and like I Fickle's a good coach, he's definitely a good coach, he was great talent evaluator too, which is evaluator. I think a good fundamental linebackers coach and like was a co coordinator of a defense that helped Ohio State win a national championship. Like he's a good coach, that's a fact. Um, I get like bad things happen with the coach fired all the time. Like Luke Luke Fickle's a good coach. the guy they replaced him with was terrible, which I think made that switch that you're talking about. And I'm not – like, when I started covering Ohio State in 2014, so, like, I didn't see any of that stuff. I just saw when he was doing a good job coaching linebackers, coaching the defense. Um, but if a switch happened, it happened quickly because the guy they replaced Luke Fickle with, like, was fired 15 times in the NFL, and somehow people thought he'd be a good linebackers coach in college even though he had no college experience and he was terrible. So that made people a little more fond of Luke. I think, I think. distance makes the heart fonder. Um, I think that obviously Bill Davis played a part in that, but I do think that once you see somebody go off, you root for them, and you hope the best for them. And when they do well, you can claim it, and when they do bad, you can say, hey, that's why he's not on the team anymore. You know, that's the way yeah. it works. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, the thing with Fickle and um, is that that one year of him being the interim head coach and how it was a disaster, I don't know if that ever – will hinder him in the future of maybe being in the position to be considered for this job. If it for this job open. again? Uh, um, and no, I, I don't wonder so. if I wonder if he could go back in time, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have wanted to be the interim head coach during that turmoil. Um, and that, I think, is when it really started to turn with people, for the most part. I know Ohio State had some defensive issues in the middle of the Urban Meyer era, but I do think that there was a sense of uh, confidence that was – you know, lost in him because they didn't win um, during that turmoil. And then it translated into how he ran a defense and it wasn't really fair. Nobody gave him um, the benefit of the doubt when it came to um, what he had to overcome to, for that team to even be kind of okay that year. They lost half their team. Trestle was just fired. I mean, it, it was a disaster. Um, but trust me, that guy wants to come in here and win that football game. Yeah, yeah, and I think Ryan like it could <clears throat> it could legitimize him him his life to beat Ohio State. I think it would make him one of the hottest uh, potential coaches to move up to the next level um, in terms of you know Power Five, and I think that there couldn't be a more motivating factor for him. I don't think. No, I think you're right, and, and on top of that, he's got a good team, and we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that later in the week. And I think that'll be something good to get in with Justin Williams, who's developed a pretty good relationship with Luke Fickle, I think, since Luke Fickle took that job. Um, Justin, who covers Cincinnati for, uh, for The Athletic, um, about like what could potentially be next for, for Luke Fickle if he keeps doing uh, the job as well as he's done it uh, the first two years in Cincinnati and where he might go or if he might stay. I think it's interesting how he's building his program there um, and, and what might come next for him. But we'll get into that later in the week. Anything else you want to talk about before I do the, the, uh, the exit here? Where are we at time-wise? we got a few minutes. I'm sorry if I hurt your guys' feelings. <laughs> it was funny to me. I said this to you 
like you wrote your thing off the game and then in the comments of the story people were like oh, I disagree you're being a little hard and then you wrote your final thoughts and the tone was quite similar everyone's like couldn't agree more Ari it's like I think people just sort of I'm, I'm taking notes on whose com- comments too because like yeah. I don't know what I was doing guys um, and I'm going to be honest I think it might have been the Talk It Out Tuesday question last week that uh, somebody asked me what I had more fun covering the Zach Smith scandal or the coaching change and newsflash none of that was fun um, but took a little trip down memory lane last night and was reading some of the Zach Smith stuff that I wrote. And Why would you do that to yourself? I don't know what I was thinking, but I went down and I was reading the comments. And a lot of you guys who are really nice to me now were really mean to me back then. And I just want you guys to know that, you know, heart's in the right spot. You know, just trying to be, you know, as real as I possibly can. Give you guys what I think is to be fact and not going to go on any slanted um angle on it it's it is what it is it's good it's bad it's it's neutral it's whatever and you know it's just so easy if you look at other headlines on other websites it's ohio state dazzles in ohio state's huge potential is on display and it's like that's like rudimentary thinking and we're trying our best at the athletic to give you more than just team who won by 24 is good because that's not the service that you're paying for and i think it's a disservice to pretend like you know that's analysis because it's not. I mean, and the thing that's crazy about Ohio State is it is such a good football team. That analysis gets taken for for fact all the time. People can say, well, I was right. Well, I picked Ohio State to be good, and I was right. Well, no crap. They're always good. But there, there are layers and elements to it, and I don't know if this is a little bit of a rant, but, you know, we're trying to, to provide insight the best that we can, and it's going to go deeper than good opener. You know, and it's not always going to be, but trust me, if you go back and you read all of our stories, go count up the headlines, everybody always remembers the negative stuff. Go go do the math on your own and tell me which one, what the percentage of positivity and negativity is. Because it's a very positive program to be around. There's a lot of great kids on this roster. The coaches are likable. There's a lot of positive vibes around it because the program is in a positive place. But 5% or 10% negativity is just so out of whack in comparison to the rest of the beat. That it seems shocking to people, and it's really not that shocking, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 uh, there's nuance to this if you're willing to look for it, and I think I think that's what we try to do. And um, maybe it would it can come off as negative. Finding the things that Ohio State can improve on in a game where they win by 24 and everyone's feeling pretty decent about it, I think, can come off as negative. That's not the intention. Um, we're just trying to highlight the things that, that that matter most, good or bad. And I thought, I thought, like we said, I thought how was, insightful was Ohio State was good in this area against overmatched opponent. It's not insightful at all. Uh, it can, it can like you gotta you gotta dig a little bit, but I think it can be. Like I said, like I think like the defense, like negative yardage is cool. Consider the opponent, how it looked. I think mattered how they played, how they structured it mattered. So that's what I would take moving forward. Like the offense stalled a little bit. Lit the world on fire for for fourteen plays and scored twenty eight points faster than I've seen a team ever score twenty eight points before, and then you know stalled a little bit. And why did that happen? And what can they improve on moving forward? Like, doesn't mean they're going to suck. It just means like, hey, this team is young. It's got a new quarterback. It's got a new head coach. If you thought it was going to look like, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. If you thought it was going to look real good, 
uh, in every facet of the game. Real good is the word Real you were good. looking for. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were you were setting yourself up, I think, to be a little disappointed too. Like it all made sense to me. I thought they could come out and win eighty to nothing, and you could feel awesome about it. Um, I thought I thought this was a pretty good opener to to highlight some things where where clearly they're going to need to improve and, and show you some potential and. You know, if out of that you feel a little confused, like you felt about it or, or whatever. I mean, when um, I was I in the interview good. room, I didn't know what to ask. I was confused. I know what to ask because I was super excited about them going under center. You should go read that, by the way. I read about the plays they ran under center. New, new wrinkle to the offense. They ran uh, Spider 2 Y Banana. Yeah. For all your yeah, but I didn't know that there. confusion equated negativity. Um, and if, if you guys want to read Ohio State is Awesome after everything, then there are plenty of places to find that. Next time, just write, uh, you know, plucky Buckeyes hold off upstart Florida Atlantic. Yeah. In, uh, Ohio State flashes brilliance in what will assuredly be a national championship season. They're still going to the playoff. Yeah, I mean, I think the team is talented enough to do it, for sure. Okay, we'll wrap up there. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. We'll talk a little more about the, the game against Cincinnati uh, this weekend. Hopefully we're going to get the uh, the technology set up the right way to get Justin Williams on to talk a little bit about Cincinnati as well. We'll give you our game picks and, and talk about the, the stuff we learned this week as we talked to Ryan Day and the players. Uh, rem- reminder that Friday's show is for subscribers only, so you have to be subscribed to The Athletic to get it. You can get subscribed to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com backslash four to six, and that gets you 40% off. If you're listening to this on Monday, you can still get the Labor Day deal. Theathletic.com backslash Labor Day 50 gets you 50% off, and that expires on, on Monday, September 2nd. So after that, you can still get the 40% off at backslash four to six. Please, uh, again, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot, and we appreciate you guys listening and reading on The Athletic. And we'll see you on Friday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.